0: You know, I was 23 years old. I hadn't started working, but I had finished college. So I didn't have any safety net under me and I didn't have anything to go back to.
1: Welcome to Managed Care Cast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. That was Samantha Watson. She's the co founder of the SAM Fund, a nonprofit organization that supports young adult cancer survivors as they recover from the financial impact of cancer treatment. And she is a two-time young adult cancer survivor herself. Surviving cancer doesn't mean the hardships are behind patients. Survivorship comes with its own challenges, including the remaining financial burden from paying for expensive treatments and the lingering toxicities. The very medicine that may have cured the cancer can have long-term effects on a survivor's health, Young adult survivors face their own challenges, as Samantha is very aware of. She was first diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma when she was 21 years old, with just one semester left in college. However, because of the treatment she needed, Sam had to put college on hold so she could travel to New York for chemotherapy and surgery. A full year later, she was able to return to school to start her final semester in January 2001 but she wasn't fully able to resume a normal life on campus.
0: It wasn't that easy to integrate back in. Um, My priorities were different. My body was different. My thoughts and ideas and goals were different. And I didn't really have any peers. Um, Most of the people who I had gone through treatment with who were around my age had not survived. And I would go to support groups and was the youngest by decades. And so I really struggled in that semester to just figure stuff out and to... Get my head on straight about what I had gone through.
1: In the midst of this, Sam was starting to feel sick again.
0: So I was always tired and I was always catching colds and everything that goes around a college campus, I caught it.
1: In April, she was diagnosed with secondary myelodysplastic syndrome, an early form of leukemia that had been caused by the chemotherapy that treated her Ewing sarcoma. She would need a bone marrow transplant, but while she waited for a donor she was able to finish the last month of school.
0: I was not, truthfully, as optimistic the second time around as I had been the first time around, and so I remember feeling like I just wanted to soak up every last second that I could with my friends while I was there.
1: The doctors told her that there were no guarantees even with the bone marrow transplant. But 16 years ago, she had the transplant, spent three months in the hospital, and got some good news.
0: And then came that moment when they said, okay... You know, go on with your life and come back instead of every week. It became every month and then every two months and every six months and so forth. And that's when the reality of all of this sort of hit me because I didn't have any place to go. You know, I was 23 years old. I hadn't started working, but I had finished college. So I didn't have any safety net under me and I didn't have anything to go back to. Um, I knew that I wanted to come back to Boston. Um, and that's really all I knew. I wasn't professionally equipped to do much of anything. Um, I didn't, and I really sort of struggled in that time because I didn't know what I was doing.
1: She got a job at a nonprofit that provided her with the opportunity to develop job skills and pay her rent, but she wasn't personally connected with the work. Then she started to meet other young adult cancer survivors and hear their experiences, which she realized were more difficult than what she had faced. Sam's mother was an oncology nurse practitioner and knew how to fight the insurance company when it tried to bill them $300,000 for the transplant, and she had friends and family to help with the costs. The stories she heard from other young adult survivors of how they struggled to pay medical bills and get a job after treatment inspired her to start the Sam Fund.
0: I created the Sam Fund as sort of my way of paying it forward and helping young adults pay their bills. And it seemed to me, and this is now almost 15 years later, and I still truly believe that when we take a little bit of the financial pressure off of people in the short term, they're able to put one foot in front of the other and go on and accomplish great things. But sometimes in the absence of that support, people just get stopped in their tracks and they start moving backwards and the bills start piling up and the stress and the anxiety kick in and it just starts to spiral. And so... At that time, my goal was really just to turn things around. The SAM Fund grew very organically, very grassroots, and very quickly. Um, Because at that time, and certainly the same is true today, but at that time, the need was growing so fast, and there, there was no young adult cancer community to speak of at that time. And so we were one of the only resources that young adults could find to help with with financial assistance. And so once we started giving out grants uh, about two years later in 2005, the floodgates just opened.
1: Carolyn Jasinski is a fundraiser who became part of the grant review process. A committee reviews the personal information of applicants as well as their financial situation and medical history.
2: I've been involved with the SAM Fund since 2010, I believe, and was engaged by one of the grant recipients, Erin McCabe, who was a young leader on the advisory board at the time. Um, We were friends uh, in the neighborhood, and she invited me to a chili cook-off. Um, that was uh, being hosted to support grants for the SAM Fund. So it was by an alum uh, herself who suggested I get involved. And once meeting SAM in the community, it was evident to me that this organization had a direct impact uh, immediately.
1: Fundraising support for the SAM Fund is raised through individual donors, family foundations, corporate partners, and major gifts. In 2015, the SAM Fund had set a goal of awarding out $2 million in grants by 2018. So far, the organization has awarded out $1.75 million to help young adult survivors. The SAM Fund gets the word out for donations to fund the grants through its Ambassadors program. It is a model that pulls in volunteers, whether they be survivors, corporate partners, or friends and family members of survivors. They advocate for the work that the SAM Fund does. According to Carolyn, in exchange for the volunteer work, this ambassador program offers professional development opportunities that are important for survivors.
2: So I think the, the leadership and advocacy skills that come out of being involved with this ambassadors is a unique. Um, piece of the organization um, and that the critical period of time where um, many of our grant recipients would have been exercising professional development, they were, you know, fighting for their life.
1: Young adults face different and possibly tougher issues than older cancer survivors, according to Sam. Younger individuals haven't had a chance to establish financial stability. Some haven't started working yet, and even those that are working only have a few years of experience. Surviving cancer is difficult for all groups, but young adults typically have more issues to combat.
0: So some groups face, you know, fertility concerns. Some groups face depleted savings accounts. Some groups face um, damaged credit and struggles with insurance. And I think most people, probably not every single person, but the majority of people deal with a lot of challenges when they go through cancer. Young adults deal with all of them. And so, and they do that in the midst of having no money to begin with.
1: Fertility challenges is a topic that isn't often discussed with providers, even though there is a good likelihood that most treatments will impact a patient's fertility. Even when providers bring it up, patients have to be in the right mindset to deal with the situation.
0: Most people going through cancer, especially young adults who are probably new to the healthcare system, are going to say, just save my life and I will deal with the rest later. The same is true for finances. The same is true for fertility. Um, You do what you have to do to save your own life and anything else that comes after that will be dealt with later.
1: In Sam's own experience, she had brought up the possibility of freezing her eggs with her doctor, but not only did he explain that the process was experimental at the time, but more importantly, that she didn't have the time to go through it. After treatment, she hadn't been told that there may be a window for preserving fertility once treatment was done. Instead, her providers told her repeatedly that she probably couldn't have kids. This is just one area where conversations between providers and patients can be improved, Sam explained.
0: What I've said to them after the fact is that what they should have said was that I might not be able to have kids biologically, but if I wanted to be a parent, I could still be a parent. And now all of a sudden that conversation changes, right? Because now one option might be off the table and that in itself, I mean, it is, it's a huge loss. Um, And so I don't mean to minimize that, but now it opens up a different kind of conversation where there might still be options available um, and not all of them are gonna be affordable and not all of them are gonna be exactly what you envision choosing. But in the end, if you want to be a parent after cancer, there are a lot of paths to get there. And so I think that's where I would love to see this conversation going.
1: Melissa Thompson, a healthcare strategist, patient, and cancer survivor, spoke with the American Journal of Managed Care in February 2017 about her own struggles with fertility after cancer. Even living in a state where insurance has to cover fertility treatment, she
3: was faced with barriers because she had cancer. I live in the state of Connecticut, but when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was told that um, given the chemotherapy regimen that I would likely have to take after surgery, uh, my fertility was was put into question. And I actually just had a a baby just a few weeks before I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had wanted to have more children. So I was um, quickly, actually the next day, sent to a reproductive endocrinologist, a fertility center, and um, Connecticut has fertility benefits, um, it's an insurance mandate. And so the physician's office called my uh, insurance company and got a pre-authorization. So I started a hormone treatment that day. 16 days into hormone treatments, the day before my uh, egg retrieval and three days before double mastectomy, the insurance company called my physician's office and said, um, they reversed their authorization. And they said, we didn't realize she had cancer, not infertility, and I was then stuck with a major decision that I had to make for the next day, and I had a series of major health, um, you know, events coming up. So I went through with the preservation, but by the time I was well enough to to you know put in an appeal, the appeal window of my insurance company had closed. So I tried many many ways, and I was uh, office of state office of patient advocacy, state office of insurance, and I was getting nowhere. So. I thought that was a horrible position to put a patient in, and not only that, but Connecticut has fertility coverage, so they would cover four rounds of IVF. And if I went, let's say I didn't go through preservation, I had chemo, and then I was infertile, they would have covered four rounds of failed IVF, but they wouldn't cover preservation. And preservation, a very small number of people are it's an option for a very small number of people. Only five percent of cancer patients are under forty, and that's the age where you'd be eligible to preserve your your eggs or embryos. And and so I, I thought you know it's almost a discriminatory carve out where in terms of companies don't cover cancer patients to protect their fertility. And, and there's also a fiscal argument too. If you if you look at the short-term costs it would cost, but add in the uh, long-term failures of trying after treatment Net, net, it's actually a savings.
1: Addressing the potential of infertility and the cost of it upfront is important for young adults with cancer, some of whom haven't started thinking about children yet, but don't want the option taken away. Last year, the SAM fund looked at the financial situation of its grant recipients and compared it with the rest of the population based on U.S. Census data, and found that the difference between the net worth of grant recipients and their peers was $100,000. The difference became greater for people in their mid to late 30s.
0: So the reason that gap was getting bigger and bigger as people were aging, you know, into that group is that, and speaking purely in generalities, because we know there are always exceptions, but purely in generalities, as, as young adults, sort of get out of their 20s and into their 30s. They probably have paid down student loan debt. Um, They have probably bought a house, bought a car, um, you know, started to save, and then cancer hits, and everything flips, and their debt goes way up, and they're underwater on their mortgage, and they're underwater on their car, and they, you know, everything turns on its head at the time when you're supposed to be establishing financial stability, and so that was striking to me. Um, It was one of those things that, I wasn't surprised because we've heard the stories for so many years, but it was striking when all of a sudden we were looking sort of in aggregate and putting it into charts and graphs and tables and all of that. Um, Not only that the gap was that big, but that it was truest for people in their mid to late thirties.
1: Ultimately, Sam would like to better prepare young adults so they don't need to rely on grants after cancer to help them out financially. The SAM Fund has started to work on programs for financial literacy and financial decision-making.
0: I mean, if we can help them manage the cost, and manage some of these financial issues and ask the right questions um, before those critical decision-making points, then hopefully fewer of them will find themselves in crisis. But the challenge for us as an organization is getting that information to people at a time when they can digest it.
1: Sam always wants to get information about what survivorship will be like to patients in advance so they aren't overwhelmed. These are challenging issues to handle while facing the prospect of treatment, but without being ready for the potential lingering effects of treatment and extra burden of paying medical bills, survivors can be blindsided during what they might have thought would be the easy part.
0: You can be incredibly grateful to be alive and to be well and to feel well and also really stressed out about a lot of things, finances, emotions, you know, physical issues, I mean, any, any number of things. And so I think we really need to leave room for those conversations too, that just because someone looks healthy, just because someone maybe even is healthy, doesn't mean that they're not struggling